0: The story of the sluggard is, in some way, like the sad story of my soccer career. Part comedy, part tragedy, and a little redemption. You see, when I was a kid, I was football mad. And believe it or not, when I was young, I was the captain of a soccer team. It was arguably the worst soccer team ever. We lost every single game. I had guys on my team who had run away from the ball instead of towards the ball. Uh, we had, uh, while some of us were attacking on the other side of the field, we had guys in the back with their hands in their pockets, waiting for the ball to come to them. And to make matters worse, we had no striker. Here I was, the captain of the team and playing sport without my glasses, so I was blind as a bat, and a hopeless striker whereas my kids are now playing in teams and they're winning or losing by two or three goals each week, we never scored a goal. In fact, we had 71 goals scored against us that season. And to cap it off, our results were read out in front of school assembly at the end of the season. And the principal said, I hope they improved their skills over summer season. It was a traumatic experience for me. But the tragedy of losing every game, the humiliation of conceding 71 goals didn't stop me from loving soccer. My opportunity for redemption came the next year, when I got into another soccer team. And that year, we actually won a few games. Now You might ask, what on earth does this have to do with the sluggard? Well, if losing every game of the season sounded more sad than funny, I can assure you that the sluggard is a very funny character. Some of the most memorable proverbs in the Bible have to do with the lazy person. And what's more, we find him very relatable. If you go onto social media, some of the funniest things people say are made by slackers, about slackers. We're constantly amused by how lazy people are. We have a chuckle when we hear of our mate's strategies for getting out of doing something or attending something. We routinely ask each other, how would you get out of that? And frankly, it's funny getting outraged about how lazy people can be, especially when it comes to things like food preparation. For example, just the other day in the news, I read about how Coles sold boxes of pre-chopped onions for people who just couldn't be bothered chopping their own onions. Ultimately, it's relatable, because all of us have tried to sneak out of one thing or another and go down the path of laziness. But more seriously, whereas the tragedy of losing every game as a 13-year-old probably taught me some resilience, the sluggard's tale is truly tragic. It's sad because someone with so much promise wastes their life and God's blessings. In fact, as we look at what the Bible teaches about the sluggard today, we'll find this big theme. Laziness is a habit that robs us of God's blessings. Laziness is a habit that robs us of God's blessings. It's a habit which robs us of God's provisions, and it's a habit which robs us of God's favor. Even though the sluggard has a funny story, his, his tale ending is tragic. And so as we get into Proverbs this morning, let's bear in mind this bittersweet but very human character. First, laziness robs us of God's provisions. Proverbs um, 24 draws us into the story of the sluggard, the the lazy person. If you could just say, yep, thanks. The wise teacher says, I went past the field of a sluggard, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense. And we immediately connect the sluggard with someone who has no sense. Many Bible translations use the word sense to bring out the meaning of the Hebrew word for heart. And that's important because in the Old Testament, and particularly in the wisdom writings, the word for heart has many, many meanings. It, it points towards someone's inclinations, their, their desires, their motivations. And when the teacher indicates that a person has no sense, it's someone whose his essence, whose being is lacking in something, their understanding is wanting, they're ignorant and foolish. And that's quite right, because the book of Proverbs treats the sluggard as a foolish person. He's someone who does not know the fear of the Lord. And there we come back to that big macro theme we've heard in the last few weeks. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. From the get-go, the sluggard is declared as someone without wisdom because he doesn't know the fear of the Lord. Laziness in a person robs them of true understanding. And in the contrasting way of the book of Proverbs, whereas wisdom leads to life and diligence to abundance, the lazy fool runs to death and finds poverty. Laziness finds a person robbed of their access to God's good provision. So let's take a look further. First, laziness steals our possessions and these verses on the screen, 31 to 30, 30 to 31, reminds us that the sluggard has neglected his work and his duty. His vineyard, his source of production and income, is in disrepair. Where crops and grapes should have grown, the soil is now choked and colonised by thorns and weeds. And what's more, the land is no longer protected. The stone wall is in ruins. Pests now freely roam into his land. And the reason? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. This creeping habit of putting something off, of, of resting, of not facing up to a challenge, leads to a ruin that is poverty. Like a thief, the fat of his land is stolen from him. Now, At the very least, these things are clear to us in our work, in our study. If you don't work, you won't have a payoff. It's simple enough. It makes sense to us in our world as much as it does in the world of Proverbs. And this reminds us that God created the world in wisdom and part of that wisdom is that diligence pays off. Hard work rewards. So how often have we in our work neglected to do something properly and uh, had to pay big time, having to fix up a big mess? I know for myself that a little laziness on my part can seriously degrade the quality of work that I do. It can take away value instead of giving value to the people I serve. But as we dig a little deeper, we realize that laziness affects more than just physical work. Our emotional work in relationships suffer just as much when we're lazy. When the garden of our friendships are neglected, weeds and thorns, like jealous thoughts and harsh words, begin to choke at the relationship. And here I'm speaking to both men and women, although particularly to men, because we're especially bad at keeping connected with friends and family, aren't we? We tend to meet up for projects and for jobs. But when and how do we intentionally meet each other to to tend to our friendship and care for one another's concerns? That's why I'm so encouraged when I hear about Stephen and his crew Meeting up as Sweck men to walk side by side with each other, spiritually. That's why I love it when I get to meet with fellow brothers and sisters, figuring out how to live together under God's word and pursue God together. Because if we don't, if we show laziness in our relationships, they will be overgrown with resentment and regret. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief. At the time we least expect it, both physical and relational ruin come upon us like a thief. Second, and we're going to move to Proverbs 26, verse 13. Laziness lulls us into seeking refuge in false security. Look at me at this verse. A sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming the streets. A lazy person will say something absurd to avoid work. My seven-year-old son, Declan, has written a clever little treatise named, Excuses for When the Teacher Asks About Your Homework. And in it are a compendium, a, a collection of some of the sluggard's best excuses. My favorite one is, I couldn't do my homework because a dragon came and took it to his cave. With such imaginary beasts lurking out there, who would dare to venture to go out and do work. The lazy person will create for themselves reasons to justify their inaction. They'll try to convince themselves of the futility of doing something in a particular given situation. Someone else better is already doing it. They'll try to frighten themselves about the danger involved in doing something. I'll stand to lose if I get in this fight. It's better to sit back and let others go ahead. In fact, they might even try to warn others to avoid it. But ultimately the lazy person tries to lull themselves into a sense of security in that state of inertia. By doing nothing, maybe nothing bad will happen. But you can be assured nothing good will either. Now, does that sound like you? Maybe not directly, but would you say that sometimes we use negative self-talk to keep us inside our comfort zones? We give ourselves excuses so we can get out of doing things. We tell ourselves and others that we're not good at something. We must say to ourselves that if we stand up and speak out, we'll invite needless hurt and criticism. What underlines these kinds of comments? Is it because we actually want to avoid the challenge of action? Laziness means that we hide ourselves from opportunities to love, responsibility to care because we'd rather be safe in our comfort zone. Third, in verse 14, that laziness also takes away our opportunities by making us passive. Verse 14 says, as a door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard turns on his bed. A door turns on its hinges without direction of its own. Someone has to, to push it open or close. But the door itself just stays in that same spot. And so a sluggard turns on his own bed when asked to do something. His passiveness is evident in the way that every single time he will go along the path of least resistance. His default position is no. It's only natural, right? But in surrendering ourselves to, to this, we become mere spectators in life, not active participants. Many of us allow others, other people, our circumstances, to make decisions for us. And before too long, university courses or careers or the choice of where we live or even who we marry may be decided for us. Passivity is not just merely allowing others to run our lives. It's an apathy about life that means we're unwilling to take hold of its opportunities. Fourth, Proverbs 26, 15 shows us that laziness drains us of our motivation. A sluggard buries his hand in a dish. He is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Even though food is a necessity and there may be desire to eat, the sluggard is unable to even put food in his mouth. It's a ridiculous image of someone so lacking in commitment that they're unable to complete the simple task of just feeding themselves laziness drains us of our motivation to accomplish tasks have you ever started something a project or a ministry and found it a struggle to complete or follow through let's call a spade a spade that's laziness there may be hindrances there may be challenges there may be very good reasons to pause and reevaluate and try something else, but this kind of laziness exposes our lack of belief in what we're trying to achieve. You see, I think apathy, the, the opposite of motivation, sets in when we don't believe in what we're doing. Our commitment is challenged, and we say to ourselves, This is boring. I care so little about what I'm doing here. If you give a team a job they don't believe in, What you're testing is their willpower and their loyalty. You're testing the resolve of a group of people or an individual to follow through. And so often we have low follow through rates in all sorts of things. Attendance in class, attendance in sport, attendance at church, because we simply couldn't care less about what happens. We don't believe in the value of these things. And so our commitment is tested. These things breed apathy and robs us of opportunities to finish our job. Now, on the flip side, even though it may seem unrelated, the distractions of our time have made it more difficult to harness focused energy into seeking what we really want. We've become lazy in putting our energies and discipline into working on one single passion. Because we're the generation that's afraid of missing out. We want to try everything. But as a result, we're easily distracted and can't finish one thing. That's because we've been told on computer screens and phone screens and television sets that if we don't finish something, it's okay. don't worry. There's always something else you can try. So we spend our days wandering from one desire to the next, one commitment to another. And you know, it's not so much that we can't finish a task. It's that our energies are dissipated into thousands of fractionated parts. We're too lazy in a way to hold it together for one main task. A refrain is that I'm bored, I'm tired, I've had enough of this. And because of the laziness that lives in us, we're too weak to fight against the impulses of demotivation. Fifth, laziness draws us into self-deception. And perhaps most dangerous of all the consequences here of laziness is self-deception. Verse 16 says, a sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven people who answer discreetly. Wiser in his own eyes is a key phrase here. It's the same accusation, if you have your Bibles open, that the wise teacher levels at the full in verse 12. Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. Being wise in your own eyes is to be absolutely justified in what you've done, even though you're wrong. You refuse to listen to the counsel of those around you, the seven who answer discreetly. And rather, you you take your own counsel because it seems right to you. And what's more, you're very proud of it. You're smugly smiling at all those people, working hard, thinking how foolish they are. The lazy person thinks highly of his own ways. Verse 12, though, says there's more hope for a fool than for them. This is a person who is unruled, undisciplined, and there is no authority in his life. And he answers to no one but himself. And in so doing, he disobeys Solomon's instruction yet again, Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So in our smugness, we forget that the Lord hates the proud, but shows favour to the humble and oppressed. I wonder if you see how something that started off with light-hearted consequences now ends as a dark warning. The fool in Proverbs is the target of the teacher's instruction, but the sluggard is someone who sees himself as being wise in his own ways, and so there's even less hope for him than for the fool. What's the remedy? The wise teacher suggests that the antidote to to laziness is diligence. Proverbs 6, 6 to 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. Diligence is the opposing habit to laziness. Diligence will be rewarded. The person will sense will diligently tend to their property. They will not make excuses for themselves to avoid work. They will not allow life to happen to them. They will not have their commitments and beliefs easily shaken. They will not think of themselves more highly than they ought. All of these things in the negative characterize the diligent who will be rewarded for their work. But is that it? Is everything we've said just a, a lecture on working harder? and reaping the rewards? I think there's more to it than that. You see, I think, yes, we could go to Proverbs 6, to the example of the ant, and find diligence as the antidote to the habit of laziness. Many people would subscribe to that fact and say, we need to be more hardworking in our work, in our relationships, in our relationships with God, even. And I won't disagree, but, but I want to take a slightly different tack. I want to take the diligent person and what they pursue and contrast it with the way that the lazy person pursues the same things. I want to help us uncover what it is that the lazy person actually desires. And as we come down to this level, this level of what the sluggard desires from his lazy habit, I think we come closer to a more fundamental truth. And that is that laziness is a habit which robs us of God's favor, because it harbors an attitude that is dishonoring to Him. You see, we started with laziness as a habit which robs God's blessings from us, and the first and most basic of which is God's provisions. But the second blessing laziness robs from us is God's favor upon us, His intention to be good to us and not to do evil to us, His will to be for us and not against us. And so we say that laziness is a habit which robs us of God's favour. That sounds pretty serious. And someone will say to me, but lazy is not a sin, it's a habit. It's a way of life. Surely it can be fixed. In fact, there's an amazing book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And in it he deconstructs the elements of how a habit is formed, how a habit can be reshaped. But he's very careful to describe it as reshaping. You see, once a habit is formed, it becomes an indelible part of us. If it's a good habit, we'll keep it. But if it's a bad habit, we also keep it. Whether good or bad, that habit becomes part of us. And underlying any habit is what the author calls a craving. Our habits are anchored in what we want deep down, what we want desire. The diligent person desires not just the consequences of hard work, but he also desires to obtain them according to God's wisdom. The diligent person most of all wants to accomplish success by wise living. The sluggard, on the other hand, is wise in his own eyes. And so fittingly, Proverbs 21, verse 17 says, The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him. Because his hands refuse to work. So here's the thing. What does the sluggard actually crave if he isn't w- willing to, to engage in work? Why is he so apathetic, so disengaged from seeking God's provision? Well, I want to suggest to you that what the sluggard prefers over hard work shows us the idols he'll fight for to protect. You see, here's the thing, it's, it's not that the sluggard doesn't want wealth or honour, he, he just doesn't want to work for it. Whereas the diligent choose to work according to God's plan, so as to receive and enjoy abundance, the sluggard prioritises different things. He prizes at least three things above God's given path of hard work. Comfort, success through foolish schemes, and his own cleverness. First, the sluggard wants to achieve success in comfort. Proverbs 21 verse 17 uh, warns us: "Whoever loves pleasure will become poor. Whoever loves wine and olive oil will never be rich. He 'd rather sleep and rest in comfort than to work, and instead of working the land, they prefer daydreaming in comfort on the couch. Number two, the sluggard wants to scheme and uh, 2819 tells us those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. Chasing fantasies is is code for imagining shortcut schemes. He wants abundance with ill-gotten gain. He, He engages in big talk and chasing fantasy, all in the hope of getting rich. And last of all, the sluggard wants to show his cleverness rather than his conscientiousness. He's self-satisfied with his low effort and more interested in what he thinks is his genius. And so he disregards this warning in Proverbs 23.4. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. And do you find yourself working for these things? Have comfort or the dodgy scheme or your own cleverness become the very things which you prize over old-fashioned hard work. Because if they are, you're, you may be harboring attitudes which oppose God. You see, these cravings of the sluggard are opposed to God's plan and authority in the created order. That blessings go to those who work. We work because God works and he calls us to work. In fact, at the heart level, these desires harbor an attitude of rebellion against God's design. They dishonor him by rejecting his rule. And his plans and so in return he withdraws his favor and that's how the sluggard ends up left in ruin so what must we fight for to be restored to god's favor and the one thing which draws all the consequences of laziness and all the cravings of a sluggard together is his irreverence for god's way of life life is a futile joke for him there's no joy in success gained the hard way. That's what the dummies do. No, for success to be sweet, it has to be clever. It has to be done in style and with minimal effort. We applaud this, don't we? We, we applaud this way of living and we commend the people who are able to pull it off and have it all. But what happens to the sluggard when they're under stress of deprivation, when, when comfort goes, when poverty hits and when the foolishness is exposed? Will they turn to God for mercy? What about us when our comforts are are removed and threatened? When our plans fail, do we diligently seek the Lord to find his path? Almost tellingly of all, when our pride is exposed or our ego is bruised, do we brag about something else to distract attention from the inconvenient truth? The truth is, in all these situations, we're more likely to be lazy in seeking a God-honouring way. We'll we'll tell ourselves that it's too hard to find God's way. We might give up in apathy because we feel that God is against us, and so what's the point? We might even dig our heels in and say we're justified in what we've done. Proverbs tells us that all of these examples of hard-heartedness lead to ruin. It's here that we need to find wisdom in Jesus' example. When we look at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, we see a different picture, don't we? We see a person under physical and emotional stress, but responding with great wisdom and purpose. We see someone fighting to remain faithful and true to his God. You know, Firstly, after 40 days of, and nights of fasting, Satan offered Jesus bread for comfort. But Jesus says to him, it is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And next, he challenges Jesus to throw himself off from a high high place to be rescued, if he is truly the Son of God. He's challenging Jesus to exercise his authority and position of glory. But Jesus answers, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And lastly, he offers to Jesus the kingdoms of the world in return for worshipping the devil. He lures Jesus to dishonour his Heavenly Father, and look for an easy way out. But Jesus answers, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan routinely capitalizes on these three idolatries of our earthly, lazy life. Comfort, easy schemes, and our ego. He does so to weaponize our laziness into attitudes which dishonor and shame our Creator God, our Heavenly Father. And when we're unprepared for this, we'll fall to our disgrace. In the way of Proverbs, we're found on the other side of blessing, on the side of the curse. Instead of friendship with God, we endure enmity with God. And that's why laziness robs us of God's favor. Where does that leave us? And brothers and sisters, if you accept the teaching of the wise teacher in Proverbs this morning, then you'll agree with me that the habit of laziness makes us less than we're meant to be. It deprives us of the potential, it degrades our value, and at the heart of it, it's a sinful attitude of rebellion which drives laziness. It leaves us estranged from God. But we have a champion in Christ Jesus. He repudiated Satan's offer of food for comfort. He rejected Satan's lure of a fast-track scheme to gain glory. He even humbled himself to be lower than angels in order to defeat Satan on our behalf. When we see Jesus in the wilderness, three times tested and three times winning against Satan with the word of God. And I don't want us to be misinformed. It wasn't just his amazing knowledge of God's word that helped him beat Satan. His reverence and zeal for God's word sustained him. Every single retaliation was preceded by the words, it is written. Jesus was saying, my heavenly father said it, I believe it, I depend on it, I will not waver from it. Jesus feared God. He reverenced his heavenly father in a way that demonstrated his wisdom and deserved God's favour. Many of us will struggle at this very point, How does it make sense, you might ask, that the one who was holy and blameless and who actually lived a life true to God, how could it be that he would end up dying on the cross? What is the wisdom in that? If the word of Proverbs is true, then tell me, how can it be that the one who honoured God more than any other would die on the cross in shame? And this is the paradox that we need to grapple with in the gospel of Jesus Christ the invisible thread, as it were, that joins Christ's victory in the temptation, in the wilderness, to his death on the cross is his fear of the Lord God, his reverent and unwavering commitment to God's honour in all of his work, in all of his life. Understanding his Father's will, Jesus submitted to it in total obedience to complete his mission. He honoured his Father immeasurably, And therefore, he earned from God his unceasing favour. Hebrews 12, 2 reminds us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And out of Christ's mercy and compassion, he offers this favour to sinners. offers it to sluggards who feel tired in this world and have grown apathetic to God. And listen to his invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 29. Come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. What must we do? Proverbs 165 to 6 says, The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. The sluggard's salvation is in the fear of the Lord. It is to acknowledge our laziness in seeking to live God's way and to do the hard thing of owning up to our fault in dishonouring God. It is to humbly receive Jesus' invitation and be truly blessed. It is in this path that we find ourselves restored to God's favour. And this morning we've met the life story of the sluggard. It's a comedy with a tragic end. Because he's impervious to to the effects of his lazy life. He he prizes comfort. He finds empty schemes more worthwhile. His own cleverness above God's way of wisdom. Maybe you feel this morning you're trapped in a cycle of habitual futility and disappointment in your your labours. It has bred apathy and disengagement, and slowly but surely you feel like you're the sluggard and you're sliding in his footsteps. Fear not. Look to Jesus, the Son of God, who with power and purpose he stayed the course of a God-honouring life. He didn't just experience victory in the wilderness. His faith and love for God remained an unwavering commitment to see God's name honoured in his entire life and death, and now resurrected. In his life, it was said of him, zeal for your name will consume me. And to his death, he obeyed his father's will until he uttered his last, it is finished. He is your wise guide He will lay down his life for you and show you the way into his father's house. And so in the coming weeks and months, I encourage you, Go and follow Jesus in his zeal for father's, for his father's honour. Seek the Lord and fear him with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind. Then he will satisfy you with his provision and his favour, the blessings of the good life.